this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Happy Thanksgiving and happy holidays to all of our listeners out there. And welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work. This is a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's hosted by me, Kyle Sconowell, and him, Robbie Earl. Today, we are going to be giving you our very first initial reaction to the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Let's go. Let's go. But first, I did want to take a second and say happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Robbie. Quick, off the top of your head, give me something you're thankful for. Go. Oh, man. Uh, Sam wise, because he's laying on my feet right now. So it's. <laughs> Doesn't really get much better than that. <laughs> what about you? Um, my studio space. I love it here. Nice. Very nice. thankful for it. Stumbled into it. Glad to have it. Dude, I'm glad I wanted, you have it. <laughs> I wanted to flip up the order today a little bit, Rob. So right. I'm going to give everyone a rewatch update, a pretty massive one. I was at work this last week, so I had a ton of time to watch a few movies. So oh, I got yeah. a lot of trivia questions coming at the end of this episode today. Okay. So instead of doing it now, we're going to do it at the end. Okay. Because okay. I want to just get into the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Yeah. Directed yeah, by James Gunn. I ju- that's part of the reason. I literally watched it Which 10 I seconds love. ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm, <clears throat> I watched it last night. I'm ready to uh, get into the holiday spirit. Yeah, we got to kind of channel our inner Christmas as well. So not only Thanksgiving, which it is now, but Christmas right. now. It's that well, time. I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about how Christmas has subsumed Thanksgiving. You know, with Black Friday being what it is. Like, but Thanksgiving is underrated. Getting advertised early. Thanksgiving's yeah, underrated, though. I don't want to just pass over it. I'm a huge Thanksgiving guy. I'm way up on Thanksgiving. I feel like Thanksgiving, the the degree to which you love Thanksgiving, I think depends on how much of a of a true fall you get where you celebrate Thanksgiving. Like, because that's what I associate like I like it feeling like fall and then it then it getting into winter mode. Like this yeah. this week we're going up to northwest Arkansas, oh. which has a great fall. And I think that's gonna be like peak Thanksgiving. Is that what you're doing uh for your break? It is, yeah. We're just going up for a couple days with uh, Candace's family. I, I would say it's underrated, uh, but I feel like it's it's no longer like the secret sort of out. It's actually mm. 
like a lot of Austin folks are either moving up to the Fable area or getting like second homes up there. Like Bentonville. It's just a little bit cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that's where we're going, actually. Oh, really? Mountain yeah. biking capital of the world <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> it's uh dude, it's a it's a wild place. They've also got the Crystal Bridges Museum there, which is has like some of the most famous paintings in American art history, which is what happens whenever a museum is run by the Walton family. Yeah. I weirdly know a ton about Bentonville, Arkansas. It's a random That's funny. fact about me. Yeah. I won't get into it. Wow. I'll be in Michigan if you're listening to this right now. And that's what I was thinking too. I mean, come on. Well, I feel like y'all get incredible falls. Yeah. But what you're, what you're missing you Southerner is that it's already winter now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like sometimes I'm up there and there's feet of snow. So I'm sure you've been seeing some of the snowstorms around the country, like Buffalo and stuff like that. But then it's like, so when, when was like growing up then was Thanksgiving ever like a, like throw like put a sweater on and go throw a football in the yard weather. That's what we always did for Thanksgiving. But yeah, we always probably too cool for that. Well, you did, but you had to put coats on and gloves. And yeah, we had like turkey bowls and stuff where we'd play football, but it was just a lot colder than you're thinking. The, the, wow. What you're picturing right now is like October 14. Okay. In Michigan. Okay. Okay. Anyways, Fair. so shout out Michigan. <laughs> shout out Northwest Arkansas. Let's get into the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special brought to you yes. by our friends at Epic Hero Shop. They make the best merch, and you've heard us talk about them all year long, but we still are in love with their stuff. I'm actually wearing my Moon Knight hoodie right now, and they have a lot of new stuff around Wakanda Forever, and I'm sure they'll have some Guardian stuff coming out. Dude, also, this is maybe the best time ever for people to check out Epic Hero Shop because it's great on the gifts front as no we're doubt. getting to the holiday season. No doubt. So use our so promo code on. if you do that. If it's your first purchase, use promo code friends from work to save money off your first purchase. If you're buying a gift like Rob said, now's the best time. Epicheroshop.com. Let's get into Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. I don't know what Christmas is, but Christmas time is here. I don't know what Christmas is, but Christmas time is here. All right, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special uh, is written by and directed by James Gunn. Mm-hmm. It features the return of the whole cast, essentially, in one way or the other, except for Zoe Zadania. Uh, who does not show up as Gamora for, I guess, obvious reasons. But we do have the addition, of course, of Kevin Bacon. And I think, and Kyle, tell me if you if you caught this, I think a brief cameo from Mark Hamill. Wait, really? Did you see? No, hold I on. I think so. I think, he was, I think he was sitting on the bench, like the, the, the like drunk homeless guy sitting on the bench outside of, uh, one of the spots in nowhere, like after they bring Kevin Bacon back, I rewound it because wow, I was like, "Oh, I need to go check I, now." I really, I if this if this is not true, then we can cut this out. But I'm pretty sure, I think that it was like a little Star Wars holiday special homage, which is funny because back whenever this was, you know, you and I, or I, I, I guess I had assumed that this would come out closer to like mid December, like whenever the like the Hawkeye finale was. But obviously that's not the case. So we had planned to try to do a a special holiday 
movie club episode yeah. on the, the Star Wars holiday special, which may still right. happen at some point. Right. Uh, but so I saw that last night and I was like, wow, kudos to us. Uh, that's wild. Either we are geniuses for catching that early <laughs> and and everyone's like talking about it or we totally just made that up and people are going to be like, what are they talking about? Yeah, start yeah. I just saw like a random person that just doesn't look anything like Mark Hamill. <laughs> uh, this anyway was everything I want a holiday special to be. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to oversell it. This is not the greatest right. thing I've ever seen. It's not the funniest yep. thing I've ever seen. But for a 42-minute holiday special, I felt the cheer. Like, I felt like I was yeah. in Christmas mode, and I love that. I'm such a big Thanksgiving and Christmas guy. Yeah. So I just... I'm like Peter when he walks out, feels the snow, sees the lights. I just like being in that mode. I, uh, no, I, I agree. I thought, I think that's a perfect way of putting it. It was exactly what I, what I wanted it to feel like. And once again, that's James Gunn's strength, right? Like nothing plot wise happened out of the norm. It's nothing that Matt, you and I didn't predict last week. It basically right. went exactly according to plan. And yet- you can't just write it off because of the feel of it. That is James Gunn's strength, the feel. Yeah, yeah. I I think that, that that's totally true, like the vibe. That's what I thought really stood out is the way that, like the way he incorporated like the old 97s and the holiday, like the holiday tunes music-wise. I thought John Murphy's score, which we can talk about in a second, did that well too. Uh, of creating the like what you would think a Marvel Christmas thing should sound like, uh, maybe taking some cues from Christoph Beck's work on Hawkeye. Sure. And there were also some decent knowledge drops there on the status of the Guardians. Uh, I mean, sure. some like big picture moving the ball forward stuff that I would not have expected. Like, I had thought maybe, like we talked about, this would end with, with them syncing up with Gamora, and I thought that could be the big plot move forward, and that obviously didn't happen. But we did find out that the Guardians now own Nowhere. Yeah, or crazy. at least they live there. Do, do they yeah, own I mean, it? But then I think I think there's a line at the very, like a throwaway almost, where Mantis, I think it was Mantis, is like ever since we bought Nowhere, maybe it's Kraglin. Oh, uh, wow. Because I was like, whoa. And then that makes sense why they, like, have Cosmo and why that's sure. all happening. Um, As a reminder, I, I this is initial reactions. We're seeing this early. <laughs> we don't have data points. Yeah, if I'm, again, if I'm if I'm wrong, you can uh, you can slaughter me. Although people have been pretty nice lately. I haven't been slaughtered in a while. Uh, <laughs> Robbie and I used to do <laughs> trivia when we lived together in Nashville. And one of the best stories ever is we had a friend who was so sure of an answer <laughs> we were fighting about it. Like, we don't have any time. Is that the answer? He's like, yes, it's the answer. And you can throw me in a dumpster if it's not. <laughs> and then it wasn't the answer. So we had to throw him in a dumpster. The following week, Robbie was so sure of something <laughs> that we had to one up it. So the, the go-to saying amongst the Sconewells and Earls is, you can throw me in a dumpster and cover me in chicken guts. That was the, <laughs> that's how sure you are. It's the answer. So the guardians I'm bought nowhere. The Guardians bought nowhere, throw Robbie in a dumpster and cover him in chicken guts. <laughs> uh, that was one big, one big plot move. Uh, 
second one that I that I caught was well, obviously the the mantis sister reveal is wild. Sure. Uh, Let's talk and, about that for a second. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear your thoughts there. Well, I love I love the emotional work. I'm just strictly talking plot questions here. Sure, sure. Again, initial reactions. I'm trying to think, rack my brain. Is that that surprising? Like, I feel like no, I kind of no. knew that, right? Like, she was living with Ego. It technically would be like a half-sister, right? Right. No, so, I, I guess I, I think I kind of assumed that, kind of. So, I had not assumed it because she uses the word master in Guardians uh, 2. So, I had always okay. thought that, you know, she was someone he had found or, or picked up somewhere. Yeah, that but, could be. But then he does that whole thing in Guardians 2 where he tried thousands right. of children right. and very few survived. And that's why I think this was an excellent reveal because the fact that that you were like, oh, I had kind of assumed that, but that they hadn't made it explicit and it didn't have to be the case. It's like, a, oh, yeah, I like that. It also makes Mantis feel like a less random addition to the group. Not that she, not that she was like, I wasn't like, Hey, no, but I just shouldn't be around, but it, I like that there's that added level of, of connection, especially as you know, like when they're, when Peter is like, he doesn't have Yondu anymore. You know, he's moving away from certain relationships like that. Right. You hate Mantis. I get it. We all get it. Yeah. You know, I, Oh man, she, she was so good in this movie. Bucky's arm, by the way. Yes. Oh man, what a great scene, <laughs> dude! So Is many, there so more- many like little callbacks like that. I love those. Is there anything more to that other than just being funny? Like, does Bucky not have that arm now? Did they make a second one? <laughs> I mean, it is like, it is the modern arm, which I love. Yeah. Uh, like, it it would be one thing if he had gotten like the, the like, half damaged original Winter Soldier arm. But I love that they just got Bucky's actual arm <laughs> or got a replica, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Shout out Katrina. I'm sure you weren't expecting a Bucky shout out in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, Man. but here we are. And we are. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I was going to say plot-wise that I just thought was didn't move the ball forward but was meaningful, the reveal at the very end that Yondu got his first little doll figurine thing from Quill. Yes, and the guns. And that Quill got the guns from Yondu for Christmas. I thought, like, all of these little reveals I thought were done so well and it 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 was a perfect kind of plot wise moving the ball forward in little ways to where like you said I think that's all stuff now that we don't have to do at the top of Guardians 3 like between Love and Thunder and the Guardians special I feel like they've done a great job of giving us some quick funny updates and even, even by the way, like timeline-wise, I, I guess the last thing that I was going to mention, although you've probably remembered more, is the difference between where Groot was developmentally in mm. Love and Thunder, where mm. he was essentially the same as we had seen him in Endgame, versus where sure. he is now, which I thought was hilarious. Where Swole he's like, Groot. Right, like, I don't know, like, late 20s, early 30s vibe Groot. Sure. Uh like that tells me that some time has passed between yeah. those appearances. By the way, on the Yondu front, 
love that they added that little redemption there for him because yeah. I feel like we remember him as a character as kind of being all bad, all ravager until like his redemption moment and then all good. And mm-hmm. I kind of liked getting a taste of both of those things. Like Peter still feels like he was his dad for a while. Like it's not just all right. hate there. So I love that Yandu came in, smashed it, and you're like, oh, dang, Yandu, you literally ruined it. And then I like that follow-up of being like, oh, Craiglin doesn't know how that story ends. And they still yeah. have, like, a sweet moment and shared a moment in the front of the, the cockpit. I thought that was pretty cool. I did, too. No, same same thought there. Which, by the way, the animation in general was such a goofy but really fun and welcomed addition. Yeah. Like, I totally did not yeah. expect that. But I thought it was so Christmas special appropriate. I thought, it, yeah, it was perfect. It was a good way. Like, it, it's funny. I don't know if this was the thought that went into it. But I think I prefer that, especially with Yondu being dead now. Like, I, I like yeah. the, you know, like, there's something about not bringing him back in. Yeah, sure. And de-aging him or whatever. Like, I just like that, that they, like, the voice is the, is the perfect thing. And this uh, is the place to, to do make it. it feel. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I mean, you know what I'm going to say about, about Quill here. Um, yeah. I, I really wow. love this characterization of him. It, it, okay. Having just watched guardians too. Yeah. I'm not going to get into a whole debate about if it's better or worse, but I totally see what you're saying. I do like that. You're seeing a growth like mm-hmm. from love and thunder era. This felt like a good continuation of that where he's still funny, but he's totally not goofy. He's very much got this under control. Like he is the leader of the Guardians. Yeah, which I I love that because I I think that's part of what I was feeling is you see this growth in Peter from the first part of the Guardians volume one film to the end of that film. And then you arguably, like, it's it's less, but I think that the moment that Peter has with Yondu and the moment that he has with Rocket are huge in Guardians 2. Like, where he goes from the beginning, where he's, like, he and Rocket are being jerks to each other to where they are at the end. But that's not as much, like, that says more about Rocket and Yondu than I think it's supposed to say about Peter. It does say, you know, it moves his character forward too. But ever since then... Just by virtue of, I, I don't even think it's a fault of those movies, but just like Quill was, his development was not core to Infinity War or Endgame. Like what happens with him and Gamora was core, but you know, even that, it's like a lot of things that, it's like another event that says more about Gamora than it does Quill that then has an impact on Quill and we see him react to it. But it's like, this is the first time to me almost since, almost since the end of Guardians where he's, like, having that calm, cool, collected leader thing that I like seeing show up in him. Which leads me to another thing that I enjoyed on the plot front. I like that James Gunn just leaned into the sentimentalness of this entire Mm -hmm. sentimentality? Sentimentality? Yeah. What would it it be? (laughs) You're the dictionary here. I think that's right. (laughs) Profundity. Profundity, yeah, that got quite a stir from our Slack last week, by the way. (laughs) I like that he just leaned into it, and in leaning into it, it almost feels like a Age of Ultron era 
where we get to see a Guardians team that likes each other, Mm -hmm. is operating well together, supportive Mm -hmm. of each other. And unlike Guardians 2, he didn't insert too many moment breakers in this. Whenever they were having a moment of showcasing Mm -hmm. that, a joke didn't pull me out. And so I like that he leaned into the sentiment. <laughs> I can't say it. I like that he leaned into the positive vibes there because right. it did feel like I was watching an Age of Ultron era. Like, okay, this team is like primed and ready to go. They are a unit. And like we said last week, in ways, they're more of a family than the Avengers are. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think, and I want to get your thoughts on this. What I was kind of feeling, and I, this is part of what I was getting at with the Quill development there is, yeah, I mean, the the Guardians, like we talked about with Matt, it's been such an interesting franchise because of how pivotal certain characters were to Infinity War and Endgame, but uh, so much of the team was snapped and they split up for Infinity War anyway, right? Like you had the the Guardians half with Thor and half with uh, Tony on Titan. And I just think that it's been, it's nice to kind of see, okay, like this is, how they have dealt in some ways with the aftermath of Endgame. Like, we've talked so much about how other people have. We didn't see a ton of that in Love and Thunder. We saw them working together and liking each other, like you said. But, yeah, now it's like, okay, it's it's brought them closer. Like, they function better. They all seem healthier in a lot of ways. You're right. It's like, it, it, it does feel a little bit like, I mean, obviously in Age of Ultron, you get some conflicts between the Avengers, but yeah. all in all. I'm thinking early Age of Ultron. Right, right. You get, you kind of do get that, like, okay, like, this is the status of the team. Like, this is, or, the, or just this is the team kind of functioning. Healthier is the key word. They all seem healthier, like emotionally healthier. Right. Which sets us up for, I think, a very heartbreaking Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, by the way. I just think I'm going to leave yeah. that movie very sad. That's my feeling Dude. right now. I, yeah, I feel that way too. And I, I think a death for sure and a goodbye yeah. to others. And this sounds like one of those things that I'm going to say and then walk back depending on how it's done. But there's a part of me that would be pretty okay saying goodbye to all these characters at the yeah. end of Guardians 3. No. I mean, we are always story over just a sheer amount of content. Right. And so it feels like story-wise we're headed there, that it would make sense to have them, I don't know, it it, it would be so fulfilling, I think. There's a lot of potential there of, if written well, could be very moving and a very fulfilling conclusion to their story, even though, yeah, it means you're not going to get tons more stories of them in the future. Like, I... I think, you know, one of the reasons I'm I'm so happy with Steve Rogers' exit from the MCU is that Marcus and McFeely got to do the send-off. You know, like... Yep. Tony's a little different because he was written by so many different folks. Like, yes, he was, he was like John Favreau's brainchild, but then it started going across the board. But I thought that... Marks and McFeely always kind of got the heart of that character. It's by far the best that Cap's ever written. Mm-hmm. And so it felt really fitting for them to send him off. And I just, I think I want that treatment for the Guardians. Like, I don't think that I want to see someone else 
take the reins with this with this franchise and and try to move like it, it feels like it would be a Toy Story four situation. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Yeah. You know how I feel about that. Right. Which but I don't think either of us dislike that movie, by the way. Not it just, at all. It's very good. Right. That's a perfect used- example because he could make a Guardians four or even worst case, another director would have to come in and right. do a Which Guardians. Which I think is 4. what would happen. Yeah, exactly. James what I mean. Gunn has has said, yeah, that's the right. Guardians 3 is it for him regardless. And I feel like this is one of those stories that even if it's done really well, a la Toy Story 4, and gives you some awesome emotional moments, I left that movie being like, that was really good. Did I need that? Like, did I need any more follow-up from what was already one of the best conclusions ever in Toy Story 3? I don't know that I needed any more follow-up there. Okay. Yeah. I did find a lot of the jokes funny, and that's really encouraging for me because I think that does show that James is willing to go back and lean into the Guardians 1 humor a little bit more. Am I totally out of left Mm -hmm. field to say this felt like it fit more in Guardians 1 than Guardians 2 in the humor department? I think that's that's fair. It's it's hard for me because there's so much Mantis and Drax, obviously, and that's sure. very Guardians too. Sure, but but I would say even there, yeah, their interactions feel more reminiscent of their of their interactions in in Infinity War maybe than in Guardians One or Guardians Two. Sorry, I guess I'm saying that I like that he leaned into the emotional moments and those weren't taken away. That was good, mm-hmm. and some of the jokes were. Um, Drax kind of missing the metaphor type joke more than the turd type joke. So like, for example, right. <laughs> like I laughed out loud when he said, toss you over the gate. Don't toss you over the gate. Make up your mind <laughs> as if she just started talking <laughs> right. and he threw over the gate. Or how about the very end when Kevin Bacon's like, how the heck are you getting reception out here? And he's like, oh, a couple satellite dishes out front cover you for about 400 million miles. I don't know. I thought that was pretty funny. Stuff like that. I, no, I thought there were a couple of moments that really made me laugh. Um, like, and this is maybe Guardians 2, but I, I really like Dave Bautista's comedic delivery of certain things. Yeah. And like the line whenever, like after the whole back and forth that they have with Kevin Bacon about whether he's a real hero or actor or not. And there's a silence and it's just like, we hate you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Made me laugh. And then also the another Drax moment when they're walking <laughs> and they're walking in Hollywood and at the very end of the scene you just see him beating that guy yeah, up yeah. In the oh background. no yeah the robot because he hates robots <laughs> robots I, took his family man I uh like it, all of uh, that whole scene by the way I just thought was so fun like them kind of walking up the boulevard it was just and seeing like people in in like Avengers cosplay yeah right and the uh Gosh, I'm blanking on his name now. Help me out, audience. But that famous German comedian is the bartender in the bar. He makes me laugh. I've seen him on Conan a bunch. Why am I blanking oh, on his name? Oh, yeah. What is um, his name? But no, I'm sorry. I'm blanking on his name, but he's funny. That was kind of a funny cameo. So add that to the list, by the way, if uh, Mark Hamill was also in there. A couple cameos. Well, and did you see, uh, which I should have known this. I forget that Kevin Bacon and uh, Kira Sedgwick are married. Oh, yeah. So, like, I saw Kira light up on his phone, and I thought that, like, I, I it was interesting because it was such a significant shot to show who was calling him, where it could have just been, like, based on the conversation, he's obviously talking to his spouse. 
But then I saw in the credits Kira Sedgwick, and I was like, oh, right, that's wild. So I love that she was in it just for the the phone call. <laughs> yeah, right. That uh, actor's name is Flula Borg. I've, I just looked it up, by the way. Oh, Com- nice. Comedian. Um, so last thing regarding the humor, I think that's what it is. I do think there were a few jokes that just didn't work for me as much. They were trying mm-hmm. pretty hard. But I think because it was a Christmas special, he got me in yeah. such the right frame of mind that I wasn't looking for it to be revolutionary. And so I just the expectations of like, oh, a joke missed or not didn't apply as much here. So I just ended up yeah. leaving being like, that was funny and I had a great time. Is it the funniest movie ever? I don't know. I'm not ranking on that list. I'm just saying like right. there was times where I'm like, okay, that joke didn't work as much, but who cares? I'm in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> so I think in general, yeah. I just was in. No, I totally agree. So I enjoyed that. Last thing on the plot front. Mm-hmm. Did we know that Mantis can control minds like a Jedi? We knew she had touch with their emotions. She's an empath, yeah. right? But she's not right. a telepath. How, how yeah, did she I, like tell people like give give me your money like she was a Jedi? I've <laughs> never seen that before, right? I get it's funny, yeah. but I'm just wondering if that was new. right. Right, that was one of my the give it to me for free line was one of my favorites. But yeah, yeah. no, I liked it. I'm just saying like, have we seen? Yeah, that no, before? no, no. I I thought the same thing. I think because like I don't think we're ever going to see Mantis like fully take control of someone's mind like. Professor X style or anything, but I think there it could be like, there's a colorable argument to be made that she was just putting them in like a very, like putting them in a, in a spot where they felt like very trusting of her or like felt very generally. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, like just making them more like persuasive or persuadable, sorry, like in general, so that I think like that's the idea is she can like you're so comforted the- here and you're so right. trustworthy of me. Yeah, exactly. Like change the way that they feel about her and be more willing to kind of do whatever she says. That's which a good can point. get to telepathy. But I think that that's how Gum would distinguish. And then the rest, we just saw her using the the Thanos sleep, which was funny. So. As I'm going through the MCU again, there's been a couple of fascinating things regarding the rewatchability of visual effects in these different movies. You know, ever since we've mm. left the She-Hulk era, now you and I have our radar way up on how things age visually and yeah. how are the effects sitting. Here's my take for the day. Ready? I have gone from... James Gunn is good at world building and visuals and the effects. I've gone from that to he is the best. Wow. So if you put Guardians of the Galaxy 1 on, that movie, the visual effects, like how the CGI works with what he's shooting and the sets they've created should not be as good as it is for 2014. Hmm. There are movies that the MCU has made way later than that, that don't look as good. I There's a shot in Spider-Man Homecoming that your friend Dan Gavazin always points out that I'm like, <laughs> I just saw last night. I don't know how this flew in 2017. Like, how did this pass? And then I just watched Black Widow, and there are like three shots in that that you're like, how did this pass? Is one the the 
Yes. The final. Yeah. But there's zero in Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Then we rewatched Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and yes, it's really colorful, and maybe there's a couple times where you can tell it's not realistic. Mm-hmm. But then watching this, the way he built out nowhere with the lights, I don't know how much of that set is like where the set yeah. stops and the visual effects start. How does uh-huh. he do that so well? Groot looked unbelievable, and that is all CGI. It's not practical. Yeah. Then even the way he depicts the spaceships jumping through the little time warp things, uh-huh. the clicks, the jumps, that yeah. even surpasses some Star Wars content, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I just watched Black Panther. It looks better than when the Black Panther ships are flying over Wakanda. Right. He has a visual effect trick or his team or whatever he does, he's an eye for it, that mm-hmm. it fits so seamlessly into the set design that I've just, I'm starting to think he is the best at that. Yeah. My gold standard always is Infinity War to this day. And I still can't compare these two, but he just has an eye for it, man. So that's how I kind of wanted to leave it. Big picture wise, James Gunn did some stuff in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 that I really didn't appreciate, but he has an unbelievable sense for the visual effects and the set Mm -hmm. design of things, like AKA the world building, and how to draw emotion out of things that shouldn't be drawing emotion out of. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I, I, I feel like, you know, I was listening to this podcast that has been going around where Nate Moore was interviewed. I don't know if you listened. I, uh, I saw what you're talking about, but I haven't heard it yet. It's really, really great uh, and definitely worth it. It's only like a 30-minute interview on this podcast called The Town. Really fascinating look at how at least the modern Marvel method works uh, and kind of the role that, that Feige has in that. And they talk about a couple of projects in particular as examples. Like They talk about Civil War, which was really interesting. Like it was, it was Feige's idea. Like at one point they were planning a totally different Captain America 3 and Zemo was the villain, and, and they were moving towards that. And Feige one day was like, I think this could be Civil War. And they were like, I don't know. That's that's crazy. And then they just go for it, and obviously it worked really well. I say that because, yeah, I think you're right. They're different. We've talked about how they're different creatively and have different strengths. But I I am starting to see what James Gunn is going to bring to DC, like the, the kind of creative care that he has for like on the world building side in particular. Now, well, like we talked also... about last week, the, the film side. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I'm not saying that there won't be, there won't be dumb things that come out under his watch. I mean, there, there, there obviously can be, and you know, it's a different, it's a different world than Marvel, different properties, different creators, but yeah, I do like watching this as much as it is just a holiday special that was kind of more silly than the standard thing anyway, I think that, I think what I, what I like about Gunn is he, he cares. Like you can tell that he cares a lot about the stories he's telling Yep. and really wants them. Like it is not a, it's not a paycheck for him. It's something that he really wants to see done. Yes, he does. In just the right way. You know, it's fascinating because in some ways I would argue that James Gunn and the Rousseaus are stylistically opposites. Is that fair? 
If you watch in that year mm. alone, watch Winter Soldier and then watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, there's hmm. so many things yeah. that are different, tonally, totally opposite. And by the way, that's not saying that like the Rousseaus can't get emotion or that James Gunn can't direct like ground level things. I'm not saying that at all. Right. But it's just totally different in, in how colorful it is and how much he wants yeah. to expand that world building side versus the Rousseaus want to focus in on like one ground level thing. And even the action shots are so much like shaky cam running after right. Captain America. Right. Whereas like Guardians is a little more like zoomed out, like a little more like eternal celestial graceful visually a little bit colorful mm -hmm. versus like really dark, like pale type tones. Yeah. And I think that's why I love the MCU is that all of that is in there. All of that is welcomed and celebrated. Yeah. And you don't leave being like either one is better or more knowledgeable than the other. They're both yeah. so unbelievable at what they do. And that makes it fun for me. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, those are such interesting movies to compare to because Winter Soldier, it doesn't have, it, it does have a few emotional moments around kind of Steve remembering Bucky and then sure. like the very end. But it's not, I mean, they're even, you know, even way less than Civil War, I would say. Uh, and the, the humor is sharper. Yeah, I mean, it's ton. It's all about twists. Like that movie is like yep. twist on twist, twist. on twist. Yep. Guardians doesn't really have anything like that. Nope. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Stylistically, totally different. But I, but, I, but, but yeah, Winter Soldier I mean, doesn't have a take my hand, Peter. All of them right. grabbing hands moment. Right. It does have a dope Henry Jackman score moment whenever Steve's fallen through the. That's what I'm saying. But, it has all unbelievable yeah. moments. It has some incredible yeah. act. I mean, it has the elevator sequence. Yeah, yeah. Like the choreography think, of that's unbelievable. No, that's that's a really good that's a really good point. I mean, that is what's great about the MCU. And that's I guess that's what I was trying to say and that's the only reason I brought up the the Kevin Feige story is one, I I I like to think that Gunn has kind of seen how that functions now, having played in this world, having worked on Infinity War and consulted on things with within Marvel, not that he like needed the lesson, but I like the idea, like in the same way that Feige was kind of trained up by like Raimi's Spider-Man series and then kind of took the good parts of that moving forward. I like to believe based on what we've seen from Gunn that he can, that he can do that here. Cause I do, you know, like it, I, I won't say I, I trust his instincts implicitly because I see some of the same things you see in Guardians 2. But I do trust his instincts over a lot of other creators. Sure. And, and, and like, in the same way that I think someone like Kevin Feige can come in and say, hey, I think we should do a 180 and do this thing, and, and no one else thinks it's a good idea, but he's got, like, the right gut feeling. I, I, like, I like where Gunn goes primarily to kind of wrap this up because it is ultimately a... Like, he's got this, like, let's make sure it's got meaning to it. Like, let's make sure there's yes. a moment. Like, there is a take-my-hand moment. Yep. You know, whether it's, like, a big one or a small one. Or dad. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I did, like, I thought that that was, in that way, this was exactly what I wanted it to be. Yeah. Where we got that kind of sweet thing. I mean, like, it, it, we more of the parental relationship stuff, which Gunn yep. has made this series all about. Even the very end, as cheesy as it is, 
like I was getting emotional when Craglin's yeah. saying like, we just wanted to help Peter and, you know, enjoy Christmas again. And then Kevin Bacon like does the turn. Like I thought it was fun. I thought it was so cute. It worked. Oh yeah. Well, and I mean that, that moment when that was in the trailer of Peter, like seeing the Christmas lights and everything. Yes. I thought it was really sweet. Yep. So yeah, it'll be, there are a couple other things just that it'll be interesting to, to speculate about as we get closer to volume three, you know, like where certain sure. characters are, are left and little hints we got, like, you know, Groot is, like I said, has gotten older. That sort of makes me think that we're going to have a Groot that resembles more of guardians one for guardians three, which is kind of what I was hoping to kind of do the full circle moment. I'm curious, like how this affects Peter and Mantis relationship and vibe moving forward. And that'll all be fun to, to kind of come back to again yes. in what, Six months? When's Guardians 3 coming out? Yeah, May. But I think before that still, I still think we are going to in the next few months, obviously we will come back to Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and give you like a ranking reflection of that film. But I think mm -hmm. somewhere around the end of this year, we need to come back to this, maybe around Christmas time, and just kind of reflect on a few more things now that you've had a chance to see it again. But also... You, you know, we're obviously getting to the friendlies. We're getting to the end of the year where right. we can start reflecting on all of the year and all of phase four. So a lot of big discussions yeah. there. And I think we'll have room for this for sure. I would, I would love that because one thing we didn't get to do today, just with the holiday travel schedules is have Matt back on, but yeah. I would love to have Matt back True. on at least for a second to hear his thoughts on, on this holiday special. All right. So I have some pretty fun rewatch updates and then a lot of trivia to get to after a quick oh, wow. word from these sponsors. Okay, so first off, I had a lot of great guesses on these trivia questions, so I'm going to do a recap here on the questions I've already asked and give you the answer. And I kind of want to hear if you remember the answer. So... Oh, man. From Ant-Man, what song accidentally played in the briefcase fight? Disintegration by The Cure. Correct. Yep. Nice job, Robbie. Ding, 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 That one I've got. That one I got. Nice work. Thank you. Did we have folks? How quickly did folks get that one? The episode comes out at 2 a.m. Central, and at 2.08 uh -huh. a.m. Central, I had an answer from Angie. Wow. So congratulations, Angie. She might wow. have even had to fast forward a little bit to the trivia. So, <laughs> But I, I, I really enjoyed this week because a few people that have been trying to get one every time, but I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know, you messaged me at 4 a.m., but someone messaged me at 2.40. Right. Finally, right. they're getting theirs now. So shout out, Angie. Love that. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. From Civil that. War. Remember I was talking about that conversation between Bucky and Steve in the back of the plane, and they uh -huh. say, man, you blew blank dollars trying to win a stuffed bear for that redhead. Blank is her name. You called her blank. Do you remember what that is? Was it? Uh, How many dollars? How many bucks? I, so I, I, I feel like it's like, I feel like it's like five or six, right? Three bucks. Oh, that was my first. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair. I was you like, you made the joke small. last week about inflation, but no, it really is. Like, this is pre-inflation. <laughs> wow, that's that's funny. Um, And then, it's is it like Doris and Dot? Oh, Dorothy Dolores. Dot? Dolores. Dolores. I'll accept that. Okay. I'll accept that. And you called her wow, Dot. thank you. You blew three Man, bucks okay, trying I'm, to win a stuffed bear for that redhead. Dolores, you called her Dot. 
Ugh, I'm mad at myself because three was like what was ringing in my head. And I was like, yeah, no, I feel like it should be a little bit higher than that. But wow, there you go. So congratulations to Alex and Amy. I gave both them one because it was basically a tie. Not very many people got that one exactly correct. A lot of people tried, but uh-huh. mixed up a name or whatnot. So here we go. Did they have to get so like, did you have to get all all portions of that right? Like Dolores yes, dot yes, and yes. three dollars. Yes, okay. correct. All right, so trivia time. Uh-huh. I watched three movies this week okay. <laughs> to catch up. So I got three questions from Black Widow. How many seconds could Alexi the pig have survived with no more oxygen? So oh, she cuts off his one. oxygen and then she says, don't freak out. He still had mm, seconds to live. Okay. Alexi the pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I know this one, but we'll see. Question number two from Black Panther. And this is where I'm going to really get you. Let's see if you can get this one, Rob. Again, with trivia, I'm trying to mix it up. So they're different style questions every time. I'm not just doing straight nerdy numbers all the time. So this is a different one. In the famous waterfall scene, the battle between Eric and T'Challa, Eric himself claims He's taken lives in what countries? So he says, oh, I've taken lives in, hmm? In boo-doo-doo. And he goes through a bunch of countries in his argument for all to be prepared for this moment right here to kill you. So tell me, okay, I'll give you a hint. He says four locations. I want to know what the four locations are specifically. What is that quote, basically? That is a wildly difficult question. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do know for yeah. sure. And yeah, I've like, I don't even. Dude, like, we have I know the, thousands I know the of rhythm. listeners that are trying to get it. So I got to do something really hard. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. I. Uh, yeah, you know yeah, the rhythm. Like I can hear the cadence. Yeah, because the, music, the music's starting to amp up and it's like kind of uh-huh. almost in rhythm ish. Yeah. I know wow. exactly what you're talking about. Great That's time. why I want to say like that. I've taken lives in, uh huh, and I've even. <laughs> That's my hint. That's such a. That's a great scene. Okay, here's a really deep cut nerdy one. If anyone gets this, I'm having to make these harder because I'm running out of shirts too. So <laughs> if anyone gets this, okay, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Ready? Uh huh. What time of day does Spider-Man jump on the Staten Island ferry? So they, they say the ferry's leaving at this time, Donald Glover tells him, to catch the ferry where the Gargan deal's going down. Uh-huh. What time is it? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a deep cut, right? That's a deep cut. Okay, wow. Well done this week. Thank you. So here's how I wanted to end the episode. I just want to quickly reflect on those three films because I've been giving you my thoughts on uh, Civil War, I think uh-huh. I even said a little bit about Ant-Man last week. Black Widow, and I tweeted this, I'm not sure that any film starts as strongly as that one for me. Even re-watching it, the first like uh-huh. 35 minutes are so fresh for the MCU. 
mm-hmm. and it looks so good. Like the plane chase and the way mm-hmm. Lauren Balf, who I've talked so much about, his score starts escalating as they're escaping on the plane, but also just like the family dynamic at home in Ohio yeah. as kids. Those kid actors are awesome. They're doing great. Mm-hmm. So don't think we never say that positively. <laughs> and then like that action sequence is special when they're trying yeah, to take away yeah. in that plane. Then when they land in Cuba, how eerie, and I have chills right now, how dark that gets mm-hmm. with them turning the kids over, even though they're the same family, technically. Like, I'm going to say something. I know this alienates some people, but I think until you have kids or a daughter, mm-hmm. that moment will never work as strongly. It blew my mind the first time, but now on a rewatch, having a daughter, it's mm-hmm. like we had a couple people message when I tweeted that that it's even tough for Mm. them to watch. Like it's actually a little bit hard to get through how easily they just like drug them and take them away. And then, Oh, it's super dark. The Nirvana cover while they're all being like tortured is unbelievable. I I still to this day, remember it's one of my favorite screeners ever looking Mm -hmm. at you and like grabbing your leg being like, this is not at all how I thought this would start. Holy crap. This is like so different stylistically and so dark and holy cow. Which I I love that because Joss Whedon gave us his take in flashbacks on the the Red Room program, and I obviously that's still canon. It, it feels similar. But I though. like, yeah, no, 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 it feels similar. But I I feel like adding in the Nirvana cover and the way it's the way that the montage is is shot and edited together, it it does feel like a it it's in line, but a fresh take on it, like from what I was expecting whenever we went into that film. So the movie starts that way, and then it's elite almost all the way through, so much so that I know we're in the minority on this. Like, I know that people think this movie is not as good as we do, mm-hmm. but I I specifically marked it is exactly two-thirds of the film before we even get to the Red Room. So 67% of this film has nothing to do with the floating Red Room. Then when they get uh-huh. in the Red Room, there's only like three sequences I counted where it turns into a CGI fest because a lot of the actual red room disagreement is the breaking of the nose, the reveal of taskmaster. It's not like a CGI fest. Okay. So I just really push back on that. I really think that people think this movie isn't as good just because of when it released. And I get that. I really get that. I don't like that. It's released then either, but when you watch it in the friends from work watch order, Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Civil War to Black Panther in between there. What a fun era to fill. And it fits so seamlessly. Yeah. Like it makes sense. That's where she goes. Like even the references to, you know, Steve's on the run. We already have the right. shrinking man, like Scott Lang. Like I just love the tie in there. And I well, don't think it turns into a CGI fest. Well, and you know that I actually, I've been, been inserting it into Civil War because uh, yeah, before the I'm friends. a rewatch maniac. Yeah, which works even even better in my opinion because you, we get that thing that I'm always saying I want from Civil War, which is to kind of hang out in the the disaster of it all. And then whenever she says I have to go break some friends out of prison, we then like meet back up with Steve breaking them out. So I also I'm think with you. Lauren Balf is elite, and I feel like the chemistry between her family, specifically the addition of Yelena, is so elite. Like we're talking a top five film. The only reason this starts falling down the rankings slightly is that my two edits, I wish going back to that episode that the red room was like a bunker 
not a mm-hmm. floating thing. And here's another thing. I think that would take care of the CGI concerns because mm-hmm. I think the hardest thing for them to CGI, the only time this shows up is when they try to do a close-up of either Natasha or Yelena while it's falling or they're flying. And I thought to myself, like the parachute thing looks bad. Mm-hmm. And and then the, you know, the explosion with the stick. And then a couple mm-hmm. times that Natasha's like jumping away from fire looks kind of cheesy. And I think they could have avoided all of that if it wasn't falling from the sky. And I thought, well, that must just be a really hard thing to animate. You know why? Randomly the night of turn on the TV. The Kingsman is on TV. Kingsman, the uh-huh. first one. Uh-huh. The first just, one. It just so happens. I've never seen the film ever. But on TV, they're on a sequence where a guy's parachuting down from the sky. And it looks uh-huh. cheesy. It looked yeah. bad. And I thought to myself, maybe that's just a thing that's really hard to animate. So that's my tangent. I think if that movie had stayed a little grounded and like he had hidden from Tony Stark's radar by being underground in a bunker, yeah. you get rid of those CGI concerns, people would be viewing this movie. And by the way, if it had released when it should have, people would be yeah. viewing this movie as a top 10 MCU film. I, yeah, I think it would have, I, I totally agree. Like if it had almost like a, I maybe said this before, but almost like X-Men 2, the the like just creepy underground base in in like the Canadian wilderness where yeah. it's like I think that that's uh that also make more sense with like the Russian vibe I feel like yeah well and it would fit more with the opening of the film you know like the yeah it, it just and the other thing is I I don't know why they I don't know why they felt we needed that from Natasha when we've already gotten a a good bit of it you know like the first Avengers film has a lot of her kind of jumping through the air, riding, you know, to get up to Avengers Tower. And then in Winter Soldier, in fairness, she's not the one kind of falling, but you have the helicarriers falling from the sky. And then Age of Ultron, you have her like on a floating city that's then falling. And I know that we had never gotten the shot like we get in Black Widow of her like falling down and dodging the stuff. Right. But I'm also not sure that I want like there's there I remember seeing that and there's even a slight concern for me where I'm like is this a little overpowered even for Natasha sure like, like this is not her mo to just jump out of the sky and somehow land without <laughs> right. getting hurt like that feels like a like a Steve or T'Challa kind of a thing to do yeah, which yep. you know where it's like you're a little like enhanced and I'm not saying that like you know, if that was her character, but just looking at, at you know, her power set, I kind of like the idea that she's more of a, like, almost more of, like, Daredevil. Like, get her in close quarters kind of a situation. So, totally agree, and that's what makes this one a little hard to rank, because I'm watching it going, this is one of my favorite movies the whole time, until uh-huh. the very end, just the very, very end. Like, when right. she's actually jumping off the exploding thing. Oh, yeah, because and- also, like, the other reason why you didn't need it is because they do it so well, I thought, with the helicopter scene. Like, that's her kind of... Swinging around. Yeah, I like yeah. that scene. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny, too. Like, Alexi's funny. The action yeah. is really good. Uh, the music's unbelievable. The chemistry between the family is awesome. I think the story's great until that last week. And I think the people that have a task master complaint are just taking, you know, it's a missed expectation from what they were hoping from the comics that it's not more yeah. involved. The movie's not about Taskmaster. So right. for me, I love it because I think she, I guess, is a badass. And the music's incredible with her, and she shows up the appropriate amount for me. I understand that some people wanted that to be more of a thing, but that's the other critique I've heard. I need to move on. I okay, two two. I know we need to move on, but two more things that I have to say. Uh, one, 
Yes, what you were just saying, that's another thing that I thought was fascinating in that Nate Moore interview. He talks about how they specifically are looking for writers and in some cases directors that are not Marvel fans, like not fans of the source material, because he wants someone that's going to be critical of of what the comics are. And he talks about how he's like, I like apparently Nate Moore, which I love, is himself a massive comics fan. Like grew up with it. And he reads before any new project every comic he can get that Associated ever featured that character. that character. Wow. And so it's like he like they know. So this idea that Marvel doesn't know the source material, I think is just patently false. But he intentionally he he brought up Marcus McFeely which you know I love, as the perfect example of this. Like, they weren't comics guys. They did not read Captain America or were a fan of his growing up. And so they came in and were given the source material. And, and they then were the like, comics people can be like, ah, that doesn't work, we don't think, right? Right. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's the push and pull of like, and Mar they talk about how Mar Marvel now, before they hire people on, they decide, I think, you know, kind of that top group, of you know, with Nate and, and Kevin and I'm sure Brad and Victoria, they decide this is what we want this movie to be generally. Like we want it to head in this direction. And then they want to make sure that the director and writers they're bringing on are comfortable with that general direction so that they like don't get further down the road and realize they have a massive disagreement. Mm. But then once they're there, they want the directors and writers to really say, okay, like w this works in the comics. We're not saying that that's not a great comic. We don't think this is going to translate because it strikes me as weird and nonsensical. And since I am a non-comics person and a lot of the people watching this are going to be non-comics people, you know, let's be super sensitive to that. And maybe that's and I why I end up leaving so fulfilled a lot when other people yeah. are bothered. Because I'm like, yeah, I'm a non-comics person and that was awesome. Well, and, and there's been like a conversation on kind of Marvel Twitter about whether that's that's good or not. I am I am 100% in favor of that. And Dan Gavazdan, uh two Dan Kavazin references in one episode, wow, uh, said, like, someone was saying, like, man, this is so, like, what a terrible way to run a, a, a franchise based on existing comics. You've got the source material, and you just straight up say that you're going to ignore it. And Dan came back and was like, actually, no, look at the Star Wars work that's that's come out in the Disney era where they've intentionally gone after creators that love Star Wars and how often it's just felt like, Fan fiction-y. Yeah, sure. Like, instead of people that are willing to to kind of push it forward, and there are exceptions to that. Like, Not Ryan Andor. Johnson's a Star Wars fan that... Well, in Andor, he actually uses the example. Because he was saying Andor is, is... And I don't know enough about the creative team, but he said Andor has been headed up by someone that that had no real love for Star Wars, oh, was not even really a fan. Fascinating discussion we just stumbled upon. Wow. Right? So I think... Yeah, I I, I say all that to say... In a vacuum, yeah, I think the Taskmaster character reveal is great. Yeah, and, totally. You know, I just I think that people are consistently not even not even upset. in a vacuum for that story, like for the yeah. movie I'm watching. Right, right. Which I think one, yeah, if that came out earlier, even if it came out like way earlier, it, it, the like. I don't think, for instance, there were not a lot of people whenever, even when, like, Thor The Dark World came out or Iron Man 2 that were like, oh, man, like, Whiplash, come on, like, don't do them like that. Because nobody, there just wasn't enough of a 
like intense focus on like exactly how com the comics are being adapted. It was more of a focus on like, wow, like this is a superhero movie that works for everybody. That's really great. Marvel's killing it. And so there's that, there's that point. And then my second point is, man, I, I almost wonder too, it would be way better if Black Widow had come out earlier right after Civil War, like we said, because it, I think it just would have done a lot for the story in general. But there's also a part of me that's like, I wonder if this movie came out, if it was going to be a phase four thing. Anyway, if it came out like between Love and, or, or Multiverse of Madness and Love and Thunder, I'm so curious how that would have been received. Because you had these two films. Oh, it would have been like a throwback to the phase three stuff yeah. and grounded. And this is what the MCU is like. Right, right. Don't, can't you, like, I can already see the tweets, you know, where it's like, you know, Marvel, like going back to the, to like, I don't even, I don't even think it would be a back to the formula. Yeah, it would, it would be like, it, it feels like a back to basics, like solid, great MCU film that we've kind of been craving because now at this stage, I think that that's true. I think at the time, and that's what I love about it, right? Cause it should feel like a phase three film. Cause that's where it slots in. And at the time people were coming off WandaVision and Loki and they were like, sure. Oh no, it's supposed to be bold and new and, and crazy and different. And I just wonder if, if that would be received differently in 2022. Then I watched black Panther and this was my best viewing of Black Panther. It worked the most it's ever worked for me watching it Love this that. last week. I was struck by a few unique ways that it was similar to Black Widow that I'd never thought of in that. Same thing for me. Like that movie is like a top five to 10 film mm. for the first 70% of the film. Like you forget how much of the movie is about like the South Korea thing and right. him like, you know, getting introduced to Wakanda and becoming king and and mm -hmm. all of that is so perfect. It's only really the final little like disagreement that I don't love. And right. it's so similar well, even that the, way. Probably more than that in percentage wise, right? Because like, yeah, him going to the, like him being revived by the Jabari, like that whole, the, I like that sequence a lot. It was almost exactly the same as Black Widow, where even the last third, people just say, isn't as good, which I would say overall is not true. There's just like 10 minutes of the last third that I would have mm -hmm. tweaked in the same way I would do that for Black Widow. Like I would have made that yeah. disagreement a little more intense. And then I probably would have shown the consequences of what happened a little more than just we won, we're back. Like, yeah, people were killing each other. You were just trying to send weapons to people across the world. Like, let's I, I celebrate that it stopped. Great. But not like so, I don't know, the rhino licking yeah. Okoye's face like, haha, we're done. Come on. You were just trying to kill each other. But it's not as bad as I remember the last third. You know, am I making sense? Yeah, I'm lumping the yeah. whole third into a thing, and that's not the case. It's like, same as Black Widow. Elite, 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 and then it dips off a little bit at the end, and I would have tweaked a couple mm -hmm. things. Yeah, I think it's it, it's interesting. Like, I, I'd be so curious to hear what the conversations were at that time between the the Wakanda battle and the Infinity War battle that are so similar in setting and setup and they were being filmed at the same time I remember so it's interesting that they wanted to 
I mean, maybe they thought that that was good to to tell us what the setting is for Infinity War, so we have the context. But there are even parts of me that, again, yeah, I think that that could have benefited some from more, like like get them in the city around the population, like see the like sort of Avengers one kind of like the way Whedon always focuses on the effect of what's going on with the people in New York and that grounds it. I would kind of like more of that too, because it makes it feel, it makes Wakanda feel a lot smaller than I think it's supposed to Yeah, with yeah. the number of people and that it's well, all just on this field. And like, this is a dumb thing to the smallness of it. Like how does M'Baku know to show up? Like the mountain tribe right. is like, miles away right like yeah like we've seen yeah. it before like it's a long ways away but he comes in and saves the day on this field by the mountain mm-hmm. not the mountain the 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 mound of the vibranium right i just don't even know how he like knew to show up at that moment no, that's there's, a good question. there's stuff like that where i'm like it just makes it feel so small like he was just around listening with his whole army because it's only yeah. been going on for like 10 minutes <laughs> i mean it would have had time to anyways yeah i just think that no, there's I, a few I, tweaks there at the end I also, I mean, I also think that there's a level to which they maybe, like they, yeah, I, I feel like they jumped to a level of intensity that maybe wasn't yet earned for that franchise. Like with the, what I mean, not emotionally, but like, it's sort of like what we, t- this is, oh, man, we're going to get destroyed for this. Uh, whatever we talk about, like Thor 2 jumping straight to like a universe ending event where it's sort of like, man, I don't know if, like, we had to go that high. Like, the stakes can be personal. They don't have to be, like, universal. And there's a part of me that's like, I it's like, like Killmonger taking over. It's like what Kevin says over. in She-Hulk. <laughs> yeah. No, right. Yeah, like, I I feel like uh, the stake, like, we could have had the same conflict between T'Challa and Killmonger. Killmonger still could have taken the throne, burned the heart-shaped herbs. Like, all of that I yep. love. Love it. But I think it it didn't have to come down to like a legitimate like battle of the factions, you know, like I think it could have been handled on a more personal level. Like what if that's what he was planning and he tells everyone his plans, but we're not actually there yet where the weapons are ready to go out. So like this disagreement happens before they're actually sending stuff out so quickly. Like maybe he actually takes some time to scheme it up. And then while he's scheming it up, it's more like, yeah, T'Challa versus him, a few of Okoye's soldiers, you know, disagreeing with yeah. a few of the tribes. Like, you know, yeah, I'm with you. Right. Like 10 well, a lot more like the action we got in Wakanda forever, you know, which is, I think, why why we were so, like, they did that kind of stuff, like, made that feel epic in a way that this, like, the, this battle that should on paper be epic just didn't. Uh, and right. I also think now the South Korea battle that's epic. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, and that's the other thing that's so fun about the Black Panther character. I made it it's rain. Like, I made it rain. It's like, it's like the first time we see him in Civil War, like, and he's like, he jumps on the building, and it's just so, it's almost like creepy, like, like in in the way that he sure. is, like, he's so quiet, and it's this like silent killer thing, and I. I like those. That's part of the thing that I, I like about like the opening of the movie so much. Whenever he goes to get Nakia, like I like sure. seeing those parts of T'Challa that we didn't get a ton. And I also feel a little bit like going straight to like Wakandan Civil War at the end. It, the what I, the reason I compare it to maybe taking the stakes up too quickly is you you run the risk of it feeling like Wakanda is like 
ever since T'Challa took over, or really ever since we found out about Wakanda in Civil War with T'Challa's dad dying, they've just been in like constant crisis mode. And I, I don't love that because Wakanda is supposed to be this like elite place that's kind of above a lot of that. Like, I feel like that's a lot of the vibe is like, we're developed. That's the rest of the world's problems, not our problems. Yeah. And so I, I feel like in some ways it would have made Wakanda forever even hit harder if that was the first time we really saw Wakanda be affected that way. Like for them to have kind of, I don't know. I mean, obviously Black Panther's still like in my top six or something, but and I'm I'm with you. We on Friends from Work like hero deaths that surprise us, but we don't like villain deaths that happen too early. And I'm a little bit bummed we lost Andy Serkis. He's such a magnetic character in that. Did we have to end that with him dying? Could the villain not have lingered in the background as a weapons dealer for a long time? I think it could have. Yeah. yeah, I I, I say that mainly just because I miss that character. Like the performance is so fun and Andy Serkis is in Andor. That's maybe spoiling something. Is that spoiling something? And he's no, 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 no. Although he's so, I, he's I did, so good in Andor. So now I'm like fresh. Like Andy Serkis is on my mind. I'm like, man, I wish he could, you know, be around because he's so good in Black Panther. Well, and it's funny because he was also Snoke. Yeah, he's kind of in all the major franchises ever. Right, Gollum. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but I'm no, I'm I'm with you. I think I I think it was a bold. I appreciate what Cooler is doing yes, because yeah, yeah, Claw yeah. is, you know, like the Black Panther villain. Right. And I, I like that he, especially at the time when there was so much talk about the formula and how it's like, like, I, I think that he, it was a nice, and, and, it was and a nice he, switch. You know, the body needed to show up for half of Wakanda to trust Killmonger. That was part of the point. Like that is the that, prize. Yeah, That's, true. But yeah, anyways, just fandom wise, I missed that. Right. I'll get you out on this. No major thoughts on Homecoming. I just was watching. I was watching Spider-Man Homecoming in my hotel room by myself in headphones. And this line I've never heard before, even though I've seen it so many times, made me laugh uh-huh. so hard out loud. And so I wrote it down. This is my only thought. Are you expelled? Do you have to go to that high school on 46 where the principal has a crossbow? <laughs> <laughs> he says it like that. I've never caught that. <laughs> like, what a detail. The high school on 46th. Where the principal has a crossbow, <laughs> <laughs> dude. There, yeah, there's so many good banter lines in that movie. So, did, did you? Was that your first time watching since seeing No Way Home? Yes. Yeah. Any any impact there? Well, no, I don't have any major thoughts like I did for Black Widow, Black Panther. I really like Spider-Man: Homecoming, so right. I'm finding it really fascinating which movies are just not hard for me to get like locked into for some reasons. Uh-huh. And that's what I'm trying to quantify this time around. Certain films are just hard for me to like totally zone in on and, and other ones aren't like black widow is easy for me. I don't know. I don't explain uh-huh. it. I don't pull my phone out, but anyways, there's a rewatch update. That's it. That's all I've nice. done. More trivia coming next week. Thanks for joining on that. And uh, yeah, Robbie, I'll get people out by just saying happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas coming up, oh, man. What a fun time of year. I'm so thankful for the community we've built here and for our listeners. And I'm thankful for you, Robbie. Hey, thanks. Yeah, (laughs) happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We will be back soon with, what, the Wakanda Forever reflection? Is that what's next? Probably. Wow. 
Yeah, it's funny. We talk about this break, but there's a lot. There's a lot we actually need to get through in the next couple weeks. So more on that soon. Enjoy time with family, friends, eat a lot of food, and we'll see you next time here on Friends From Work.